I'm Pat McKay, and this is Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. That is our focus. That will always be our focus, as I've mentioned before, until the end of time. We have two guests with us today, Dan Gallus of Providence Ventures and Siddharth Satish of Gauss. Thank you both for being on the program. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Sid, you graduated Cal Berkeley in chemical engineering for undergrad, and then for, for some reason, uh, you skipped the obligatory season as a ski lift operator in Vail, <laughs> and instead immediately went on to get a Master of Science in Bioengineering. That was in 2011 uh, through a joint program with Cal, Berkeley and San Francisco. You also did some graduate work at Stanford and then a fellowship in surgical simulation also at Stanford uh, after graduation. And then in there, you, uh, you also uh, you founded Gauss, of which you are now uh, also the uh, CEO. The thing that really sticks out to me is that you founded Gauss in, in, in that June of 2011. Basically, you couldn't tear yourself out of your graduation robe fast enough and go hang your own shingle in medical technology. How did that happen? What led you to hit the ground running with Gauss in an extremely tough startup space so fast and really so young? I, I would say it was that you know we were really captivated by what we saw in the operating room. Uh, when I was a grad student, I had you know the privilege of following uh, some surgeons around the OR for the first time. I'd never really been in a clinical, uh, let alone a surgical setting. And I was really, uh, you know, captivated by the advent of you know, new, very disruptive technologies. You know, we saw robotic surgery, you know, in the, in the OR, but also at the same time, very equally captivated by the uh, lack of solutions uh, for certain clinical needs. And so the opportunity to develop technology using kind of the technical background and the you know clinical needs finding uh, that we had we had had was you know one that that I, I personally could not pass up and I thought would be a very interesting use of of my time soon after school it's an interesting thing the dichotomy you found in in surgery you're 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 essentially a student you're a smart guy of course but you're a student in in that and that and that hit you so profoundly yeah, that's right. And I think it was uh, an artifact of, you know, uh, I was used to writing code and doing some very theoretical uh, and engineering related research. And so to see something uh, so very real and viscerally captivating um, really kind of made us step back and think, wow, there are clinical needs out there uh, that really need to be solved. And, and as you mentioned, um, you know, blood loss was one that, that sticks out to you when you watch a surgery for the first time because you've probably never seen blood or guts before. And you know, what we found was that blood loss had really been visually estimated by physicians uh, really since the dawn of medicine. And if you, if you kind of dig into the data, misestimation of blood loss has been linked both with the over or inappropriate use of blood transfusion, or on the flip side, um, the the under recognition or delayed recognition of of a hemorrhage, which is you know defined as uh, significant or excessive uh, medical or surgical bleeding, and we found that you know the hemorrhage itself is a is really a, a national patient safety issue in the United States uh, today. It's certainly the awareness around it has increased over the past. 
uh, five years as we've been working on a technology to better identify the uh, incidence of surgical blood loss. So it was kind of the right needs area and, and the technology sort of at the right time from a a recognition perspective. Well, it's certainly a very good thing that you came along and saw what you saw. Dan Gallus, this is your first time on this podcast, but your voice has been heard many times on the subject of investing in the medical technology field over the past 20 some years. I'll say that carefully. <laughs> You're a partner at Providence Ventures, a $150 million venture capital fund created on behalf of Providence St. Joseph to improve health outcomes for people. And to date, your team, I believe, has invested in 13 different entities. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Um, uh, and, and, and of course, these are, these are all, um, basically they're companies that, that you and your team consider to be best of breed health innovation um, you know, organizations. Um, so again, really glad to have you and your expertise here uh, on the show with us, Dan. Yeah, very glad to be here. Thanks. So, Dan, how does a young man like Sid, pretty much straight out of grad school, first of all, catch your attention, and then second of all, convince you and the team at Providence to get involved, to uh, to invest? Right. The uh, <clears throat> you know, from my perspective, when I first met Sid, he had uh, and his team had done a lot of incredible things already. When we engaged with Sid, he had already achieved either two or three FDA clearances for the product. And what they were doing was really truly first in kind. Not only did they start with you know a identifying a clinical problem, a significant clinical problem and devising uh, a solution to address that clinical problem. They also were incredibly uh, ingenious and uh, throwing away kind of the, the traditional uh, approaches that might be taken to try and solve a problem uh, of this kind of clinical variety. You know, what they, what Sid and his team did was basically take conventional uh, mobile vision enabled products like an iPad with a camera, be able to apply that to uh, in a very simple fashion uh, within the workflow of a, a clinical operation, um, take pictures and apply cloud-based software algorithms to come up with a clinical result. A lot of the medical devices that are we have uh, become accustomed to are, you know, hardware-based, you know, invasive and/or having wired kind of conventions in order to be able to connect to the patient to get uh, signals and/or be able to treat them appropriately. Kind of threw this out the window at Gauss and said, look, let's take advantage of technologies that are out there, uh, use the ingenuity that we have and uh, of application of technology uh, that is being utilized in other kinds of industry verticals and apply it here. This is the best way to solve the problem. So this is a, a big, big opportunity. It's not just a focused application for one single thing. It truly is a platform and a unique one in terms of uh, being able to solve a multitude of problems. Sid, is both your, the OR product and the L&D product, are they both app-based? That's right. Um, what, what we essentially decided to do, as Dan, I think, very eloquently stated, uh, was, was to leverage um, you know, consumer-grade tablets and, and devices as really a delivery system for the guts of what we're actually doing, which is algorithm and, and um, you know, kind of the core, the core technology. Um, and so we do have, uh, you know, a product for the operating rooms. We do have a product for labor and delivery. They're actually essentially just two different uh, apps, both delivered through the iPad, 
uh, and, and you know, we've configured the iPad then to really fit into the workflow of a surgical setting. And that's one of the things we uh, worked closely with the Providence clinical team on um, was really configuring it. And, and how can you take something that we're all used to playing you know, games and, and watching Netflix um, and put it into a very acute, fast-paced, chaotic, and, and frenetic environment um, and deliver meaningful clinical uh, data to to and from the, the OR. It's it's amazing for me to think about this as being app based because it's it really is a powerful product, you know. And I'm I'm the guy who stares at my phone, and, you know, you know, at my Evernote app, when it takes three seconds to open, and then just imagine this, you know, the the amount of thought and craft that kind of went into creating this. Um, um, to be, uh, to be, you know, just chunkier than a normal app. But uh, it, obviously it works from an iPad and it works terrific. In, in, in many ways it really does, as Dan sort of was hinting at and just kind of even just said uh, there in a, in a couple ways, it, it, it resembles traditional tech. Did that make it easier to go to market? That's that's a really good question. You know, initially we we first of all discovered you know the the delivery modality. I'd, I'd say accidentally, um, a lot of what you know, we had started to do was watch surgery. And you know, I had my iPhone out one day, and, and I was taking pictures of you know the different parts of the operating room. You know, after the the surgery was complete, uh, and. And it was sort of, that's kind of when the idea to use, you know, these mobile devices as a delivery system hit me um, because things were becoming more app-based and, and there was you know, so much computing power available there and then on the cloud. So it was an accidental discovery, I would say, for, for you know, why we decided to, to use a mobile platform. But as we started to do so, uh, it became very clear that, you know, the mobile platform was not only a great application for the specific need, but it, it could actually, you know, be extremely elastic and get us into other areas that also leverage sensors and and computing. So, Dan, uh, you're a you're a board member of Gauss. Is it common for you to be a board member of of a company um, you and your 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 team is invested in? Yes, it's pretty common. Uh, I think in just about every company that we've invested in, out of our thirteen. We're either one of our team members either serves on the board or as an observer of the board. Being a $150 million fund, we're looking to invest between you know, 5 and $10 million in a company over the life of a company. So it's not an inconsiderable amount of capital. So we're oftentimes a significant uh, uh, amount of a round. Um, and it also provides us the opportunity to lead a round in a company, which oftentimes uh, will come with it, uh, traditionally, might uh, a board seat might come with that. So, in a lot of ways, we oper- operate like a traditional venture capital fund as it relates to deploying capital and how we work with our companies. Our mantra is to not only provide the value that a traditional venture capitalist might provide, but really leverage you know the advantage that we have being a part of a large health system with the clinical and operating executives and insights that we've got to try and assess new technology and services companies uh, or device companies, leverage that to not only be able to pick what we think are the best companies with that insight, but also add a lot of value back to those companies in the form of not only serving as a a large customer that can generate revenue for uh, a company, but also provide uh, good customer insights and really partner closely with our companies so that they get more added value uh, from they than they would from a traditional customer, and lastly, um, 
you know, generating uh, revenue through introductions to other customers. We've got dozens of other health systems that we are uh, acquainted with. And we can, if we can serve as a really good, credible reference uh, and leverage those relationships to be able to introduce uh, our companies that are adding a lot of value to us, to those uh, organizations, uh, we kind of pride ourselves on being able to do that and, and really uh, grow the customer base of, of our companies as well. Obviously, Sid, here's, here's a guy, he's got a great idea out of school. He sees this dichotomy that exists in the OR, you know, between technology, you know, the, this amazing technology used for the procedure itself and the apparent lack of technology used to account for blood. He creates something to solve it. And, you know, it was a great idea, obviously. And even a medical layman like me probably could have, you know, said like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. But I imagine, again, as a VC, knowing what you need to do, knowing what you want to you what the, you want that relationship to become and evolve into, you have to judge even the best ideas differently. Um, you, you know, you have to judge them much harder. What does that mean? Like, what does a great idea look like through the eyes of a VC that maybe is different for, you know, more a layman like myself or someone early in, you know, in, in, into this, just now getting into this industry? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a, a number of common things. And then I'll, I'll even, I'll highlight a couple things as it relates to Gauss that I think are uncommon. You know, one one thing is, are, is the, a company really addressing a big problem and big comes from both size of opportunity perspective, how much, you know, uh, how big a market size could be, uh, but it also relates to the priority. In this case with Gauss, uh, have big clinical impact and really change the standard of care uh, for how we can care for patients and save money along the way. I'd say the other thing that is really stands out with respect to uh, Gauss in particular, but it's great when you can find these in, in companies in general that you're looking to invest in, is to be first. No one is doing what Gauss is doing, uh, not just in the way that they're doing it. You know, no one's solving this problem. No one else is quantitating blood loss uh, to help clinicians understand specifically where they are with respect to uh, a patient and blood loss during a procedure, which is incredibly clinically impactful to the extent that they need to think about uh, transfusions, which they traditionally would like to avoid. Uh, but when circumstances dictate it, they need to have that answer ASAP. And, uh, and, and Gauss, in a really unique way, has developed a solution that is the only solution in the market that can do that. And from an investment perspective, when you can invest in a company that can be for not only first in market, but also only in market, you know, that's a very unique proposition that was, was really attractive to us in getting involved with Gauss. Sid, when I saw your Vimeo film demonstrating Triton, I'll admit being more a writer type guy and much less a medical guy, I had to kind of peek through my fingers at the blood soaked bandages as they went into the scale receptacle there in that video, simply because I believe that that blood was real. It looked real. Um, was the blood real, Sid? It was, yes. That was at uh, one of our uh, hospital partners uh, immediately post-operatively. Obviously, we didn't uh, film uh, in the OR, but uh, yes, that was real. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, incredibly, that's incredibly dogma 95 of you, like just very, very <laughs> real filmmaking. I've been over the last several decades on 
many, 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 many productions, and we've never used real blood. So uh, I, re I really, I applaud you for uh, for for such a uh, such an authentic approach to your filmmaking. You obviously you stumbled across this interesting, if to me a bit gory, dichotomy that exists in the operating rooms, as we've talked about. How did you go about getting? Uh, an investor like Providence Ventures on board. What was the most important part of your narrative in trying to sell what you believed was a viable product? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I th think Dan alluded to a lot of the things that you know. Dan is an experienced you know med medical technology investor, and now sitting on the strategic uh, health system investor side uh, saw. And I think we shared a lot of the the same. You know, vision for where we saw the company going in in you know the opposing direction to, to a VC looking in. Yeah, I'd say at the time we met Dan, the company had been about um, you know about four years in its development. You know, we had really started to transition out of the technical development phase. We had our initial couple of FDA clearances, as Dan alluded, and we had started to really um, get into the pilot phase of the company. We had uh, brought on a couple of early stage health system partners. We had put our generation one devices uh, in those operating rooms. We had sold a couple of units uh, and we had really sort of started to beat the kinks out of the product, if you will. And and to be sure, uh, there were a lot of things we learned in, in that year uh, before, leading up to when you know I first met Dan um, that really informed us not, not only of what the true value proposition would be from a health systems perspective, but also what the, the changes were that we would have to make in order to truly enable uh, this to, to, you know, uh, achieve its 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 prime time um, application, and so I think uh, what you know what we um, really had focused on at the time was was really proving to ourselves and to prospective investors um, that you know we had taken a very thoughtful approach um, towards the path that that lay ahead, and what were we truly financing to from you know an objectives and and key results perspective. Um, and, and really being able to, I think, articulate that uh, is, is what enabled us to have a rational um, and very you know, fair uh, conversation with our investors uh, and to say, hey, look, here's the partnership we want to embark on. This is where we are today. This is where we want to take the company. Uh, and these are the key sort of measurable metrics uh, that, that we can partner on uh, to, to help you know, collaboratively achieve. That's great. I mean, I think that's I think that's a really helpful explanation, you know, especially for the you know young smart folks like you who are coming out of grad school and are, are, are trying to figure out how you know how can they bring their innovations to market? What should they focus on? So I think that's really helpful. Um, Dan, how are you with the side of blood? <laughs> uh, I've been doing this while now, and I will say that it uh, I've gotten much better over time. There are certain things. Blood is good. Blood is okay. Uh, there are certain things. There are certain things uh, like weeping wounds that won't close, and uh, yeah, there, there's a few things that I still really struggle with. But uh, as a layman, I've gotten pretty good with respect to the traditional gore. Uh, yeah, good for you. You you kind of have to. So I mean, clearly, being a VC in the medical technology field is a little bit different than being in just sort of a VC in the pure technology field. How often do you get the chance to work with younger folks and, and specifically millennials? 
I would say much more frequent now than over the last, call it five years, than my first, call it 15 years. It's very, a very good thing. I think it's, um, uh, it, it's interesting because you, there are more and more uh, either you know, young folks coming out of school that have an interest and in, in, uh, passion about a mission for improving a lot of, there's no shortage of issues that we have within our healthcare system. So whether it's something clinically oriented or uh, system oriented in terms of how care delivery is orchestrated, um, we've got a lot of problems, a lot of needs. And we're seeing a lot more uh, young entrepreneurs who maybe had uh, experienced success in other verticals, um, you know, seeing an opportunity uh, both driven by personal passion uh, and personal experience quite often uh, where they've had issues with respect to the interactions with the health system. Um, and also there's great business opportunity. So I think it's a combination of things that are drawing more and more uh, young entrepreneurs into an industry which, quite frankly, um, up until you know the last several years, was much more of a uh, you know an old gray-haired kind of uh, business. Um, but that's also showing that technology and the impact that technology can have uh, and needs to have with respect to transforming our industry. Uh, has really picked up, uh, you know, over the last decade and even more recently in in the past several years. Yeah, I think that's great to hear. I mean, you know, and also one of the things the industry can be a little bit guilty of is just also just the amount of time it takes in order to bring uh, technology to market, which obviously, you know, that's part of, of, of what you do. You, you understand how to scale as much as you understand sort of how the, how the inner workings of, of, of being, you know, in the medical technology field as a, as, as a VC. And I would imagine that, that, that we'll start to see turnaround times, you know, start to, start to cut. I think the average right now, isn't it something like almost two years to get something to market, and I would imagine that that will start to evolve, uh, you know, just based on the, those things that you're pointing out there. Yeah, I don't, you know, the it definitely, uh, I think we've got um, an administration now as it relates to the FDA that is is, is in the, in a much, you know, the pendulum swings. I think the pendulum is much more in the entrepreneurial, um, uh, you know, side of the equation in terms of trying to get products to market. Uh, which, which I think is great. I, I've always thought that uh, trying to reduce some of the barriers to getting new innovative products to market is a good thing, while also holding them to standards of being able to demonstrate um, safety and clinical value. But you know, there's I, I like the idea of getting things quicker and then having uh, either post-market studies or or things that really have teeth in them to be able to demonstrate that they actually can deliver, especially in life-saving circumstances, um, to try and get things uh, to market in the hands of clinicians to be able to better care for patients quicker. Sid, for the other young innovators out there um, who, uh, you know, who have, who have great ideas and, and, you know, and, and, and some pretty big dreams about what they'd like to be able to, to do with those ideas, what part of the process should they focus on the most, the technical phase of development or the commercial phase? Yeah, so I, I think the, um, you know, the, the kind of input I would have, and, and I share this with folks that are starting out with new health technology ventures, is, is when you're in the technical phase of 
development, you kind of have to think forward past simply the clinical need or the the technology. And the clinical need is, I'd, I'd say, the first place to start. It's the most important but you really have to validate what is the uh, set of factors that you need to consider in the early stages of development that you know are, are going to impact the commercial phase of your technology. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're looking at healthcare tech, you've got to really consider the economic considerations behind the delivery of that technology into a healthcare setting. And really understanding what are the data elements, what are the technical elements, what are the security considerations? What are the architectural you know, design um, decisions that you're going to make in the early phase that may actually have pretty significant implications you know, years later when you're actually delivering the system to a hospital? I think those are important to at least, and we'll never predict them uh, you know, in the early phase, but really to consider them thoughtfully and, and try and develop your solution with those factors in mind, I think is, is a critical part of early stage innovation. The second thing that I would say and that, that's been really valuable to us is, you know, as a technical founder to really think through what it's going to take to bring an innovation to market. It doesn't stop with the technology. There's, you know, companies happen in phases and you really need to consider what's the kind of team and the kind of leadership you want to develop within the company. And, and what are the things you need to do to actually develop from, you know, two guys gals working on a technology um, to a company with 30 to 50 employees to potentially something even larger that's really delivering a solution to healthcare. And one of the things we found to be invaluable was to really work, you know, number one, collaboratively with our board and to recruit some you know, veterans of the, of the med tech industry, as well as some software folks who, who can sort of really kind of bring different perspectives around, around the leadership team's thinking. And, and, and secondarily, um, and, and as importantly, uh, to, to develop a team ar- around you that can really help you um, kind of scale the company beyond the first phase into the second phase and so on and so forth. And so we've you know, focused on developing that practice at Gauss, um, and, and that's been very helpful kind of uh, along the you know, uh, entrepreneurial uh, journey. Is that also important advice from your from your perspective, Dan? That um, you know you're a young innovator, you have a great idea, maybe you've got a pretty good handle on the technical, or you found the the niche. But just being able to kind of have that foresight, you know, uh, and and be able to look down the road a little bit, maybe at some things that aren't as familiar to you, um, is, is probably probably hard. But 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 as you know, as as Sid's saying, is is probably pretty important. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I I, uh, I would say that um, you know uh, Sid kind of laid it out there first is one back up and make sure you under are you addressing a real problem and what is that problem define the problem and then really understand um, the the stakeholders involved with that problem and how you can design a solution that. Uh, will serve those stakeholders and which of those stakeholders are willing to pay for it uh, is a very, very common mistake that I do see is this is a, this thing is screwed up. We are going to design something to fix it. And the beneficiary of that fixing from an economic perspective might not be the utilizer of the technology. And and thus it gets, it's, you're kind of misaligned with respect to who you're helping, but who you're trying to get the money from when you're serving that customer. Um, 
The other thing I'd say that, you know, I think Sid did great. You know, you talked about um, the early stages of a company. I think two things, you know, you know, you pointed out, you know, Sid was, uh, Sid was, was young in age, uh, but I think wise in years uh, beyond his age in that he did two things. One was he, uh, in the early stages, approached um, people with more experience and also very relevant experience in terms of what he was trying to do. He partnered with uh, his co-founder, Milt McCall, who had you know years of not only venture experience, but even before that, and more importantly, entrepreneurial and operating experience in the med tech area. Um, so, you know, you, 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 you know, Sid was, uh, brought some people in with, uh, really strong experience and Sid also wasn't a quote unquote healthcare person. And this kind of gets to other, you know, entrepreneurs coming into healthcare from other fields. I think one of the most important things that entrepreneurs can do that are getting into a new field, in this case, healthcare is to surround themselves at early stages with advisors and hopefully, uh, partners on the management team that do have a strong understanding of the space of the obstacles, uh, and that doesn't mean you should lose sight and uh, lose hope in terms of being able to transform and change things that are just entrenched and could be improved incredibly. But you need to understand the dynamics of uh, why things are the way they are and what it's going to take to break that friction and, and really introduce something that's transformative. Yeah, and obviously, you know, it's it it, it is working well. Um, you know, uh, uh, Gauss has been doing a terrific job. Triton has uh, been a you know a pretty clear success. It seems seems like so far. You've already got the next generation OR model approved by the FDA. You have Triton Labor and Delivery uh, cruising along. Um, Sid, is Triton then you're you're gonna sort of remain the sole focus with Goss, or is it the sole focus with Goss? Uh, um, or are, are there other things kind of around the periphery that, uh, that you're thinking about? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. As, as you know, we alluded uh, earlier, we sort of realized as we were developing Triton that we were actually developing a platform uh, for computer vision and machine learning uh, to be delivered into the operating room to solve you know, relevant and adjacent or non-adjacent clinical needs uh, that could use a software solution. Um, so our, our operating focus, you know, remains uh, commercializing and demonstrating revenue velocity with Triton. We've been very fortunate to, to scale uh, pretty rapidly quarter over quarter. Um, we're, we're literally doing hundreds of thousands of uh, sur sur surgical procedures and deliveries uh, annually, and we, we anticipate getting to a million procedures a year in short order. Uh, but that really kind of that scale kind of really makes you think, what about the data that, you know, that we're processing and what are the insights that we can gain from that massive data that's flowing through our algorithms in real time? And what are the other things we can do that are maybe predictive that can bring new types and forms uh, of clinical decision support, uh, both to the area of surgical blood loss and then sort of extending back into the value chain for, for blood itself. Um, for instance, if you know you have a decision about whether or not to transfusion, uh, transfuse a patient uh, to, to be made, um, can we perhaps leverage this real-time data stream of the patient's blood loss um, to almost predictively um, you know, analyze a patient's transfusion need and perhaps 
change the real-time delivery of blood and sort of make it so that blood arrives in the OR almost autonomously and just in time and in the right amount based on a patient's bleeding. So can we maybe hook this back up into the blood bank and really transform the way that blood gets delivered in, in surgical settings? Um, adjacent to that, we're currently looking at a number of other uh, very interesting clinical areas that really sort of... Um, you know, are, are, are visually uh, appealing to us. And what I mean by that is, you know, the operating room is an informational uh, black hole in, in some sense. Um, there are a lot of um, consumables and products and processes that go on and, and traverse supply chain in the operating room uh, that the information in, in the operating room is just not as accessible. So, you know, as we started to look at blood loss, we realized that there were adjacent clinical needs and decision support apps like sponge counting that we could address very quickly using deep learning and computer vision. So we developed a solution for sponge management. Um, moving on from sponge management, we looked at instruments and we said, well, you know, there's a lot of instruments that are used in surgery uh, and the cost of processing an instrument is incredibly high, but we turns out only use about 20% of all instruments that are actually sent into and out of an operating room. And so are there ways of releasing that information stream uh, back into the value chain uh, such that, you know, we can optimize our delivery and, and, and usage of these very valuable and expensive medical components? And so those are the types of areas that we've started to look into, um, in addition to other forms of you know, decision support in the operating room. Uh, because we have a very unique mobile uh, native uh, experience with, with the iPad, uh, we've started to look at other areas of clinical need. Uh, for instance, non-contact you know, monitoring. Um, so looking at very various clinical parameters that you know, we can measure simply by using a camera uh, or a CMOS sensor um, in a in a surgical setting to to you know develop and enable new forms of patient monitoring really with a software as a service business model. So these are examples of areas that we're currently looking into um, and and actively developing from a, a roadmap perspective. Dan, is that important to you as an investor um, to know that a company, whether you know it can be Gauss or it can be another one of your companies, but to know that the company has capabilities beyond a single great product, is that is that a, is that a thing in your world? Is there is there such a thing as a one hit wonder? Is it okay to be a one hit wonder? Can you focus? Is it better to to kind of think a little bit more like like Sid? Um, you know, and, and evolve and be flexible and look for other opportunities. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think the the answer is you can you can um, you can go you know either direction. I think in it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with building a company that I would term is more a product than a company, where whereby the available market uh, from a market size perspective is you know maybe a couple hundred million dollars or something like that, but not something that you can build a multi-hundred million dollar company around. You can still build something very valuable. And if you do it very capital efficiently, um, you can, you know, exit the company, sell it for tens of millions to a hundred million dollars and and generate really good returns and a great outcome for the entrepreneurs and, and team that help drive the, the company there. Uh, but that capital intensity and how much capital you raise is a big component. With Gauss, um, I think it's it's you got you've got both components. You've got uh, if this was just a company that focused on blood management, um, 
which is where the you know, the company is, is uh, established its foothold with respect to its first applications. Um, you've got a, a multi hundred million dollar uh, company potential with you know very high margin SaaS software revenue uh, model that can be worth uh, you know hundreds of millions to a billion dollars. Uh, the beauty of this is you've got that plus you've got this upside um, with real tangible. Um, identified opportunities around leveraging data, uh, leveraging uh, the medium, an iPad with computer vision technology and, and the back end that uh, Gauss has developed with respect to clinical algorithms to you know, do a host of other things within the operating room or elsewhere. Um, and I do view this to be very much a, a platform play. Uh, if we, if for whatever reason Gauss is not successful any more than what it's already doing within blood management, we're going to have a really nice outcome. Um, the more exciting thing is uh, they've kind of nailed number one and now moving on towards uh, some really great, exciting things in number two, three, and four and where this company can go. So um, in summary, you can go, you, there's nothing wrong with going small. Um you, there is something wrong with going small and trying to raise too much money the, such that it doesn't substantiate uh, big enough of an outcome. Um, and Sid's done both. Sid has been very capital efficient, uh, Sid and his team, with respect to uh, the capital raised and getting to where the company is and, and targeting the market it's in, um, and now has the opportunity and just raised a really successful round uh, to invest more heavily in, in uh, the next the next applications that can really uh, expand just how big of a platform this can be. Well, I look forward to see what happens next in this, you know, this relationship between between you guys, between you, Dan, and Providence Ventures, and then all the things you've got going on, Sid at Gauss. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go. Um, I cannot thank you enough for uh, for being on the show with us though today. Um, again, Siddharth Satish of Gauss and Dan Gallus of Providence Ventures. Thank you again. Thank you very much for having us. This is great. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. That's the conclusion of this episode of Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, or just want to tell us you really, really like us, We'd love to hear that too. Uh, check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.